Welcome to Season 3 of Three Associating. We're back. Again. Three Associating is a podcast that goes behind the door of therapists working in a relational psychoanalytic model. I'm Andrew. And I'm Rachel. We're both therapists. And we're both supervisees of Jill. And I'm Jill, therapist and supervisor and co-author with Jackie Winship of the book The Talking Cure. While people might think that therapists have it all together, by now you know we don't. We get stuck, experience challenges and have blind spots. This continues to affect our work and this is why we need ongoing supervision. This podcast peeks behind the closed door of relational supervision and lets you know about the therapist's blind spots. Relational supervision complements the traditional focus on the patient by focusing on both patient and the therapist. In each episode, we discuss a fictitious character in supervision. While none of these patients are real, the relational dynamics are. Episode 1. Neurodiversity. Lost in Translation. Rach, I'm feeling so mad. Like mad angry or mad crazy? Uh, just mad angry, mad crazy, just mad mad. <laughs> okay. Hi, Jill. Hi, Andy. So today I'm going to talk about a patient that I've talked about previously. Uh, it was a while ago now, but her name is Carmen. She's in her early 40s. When I first talked with you about her, we've been working together for about six months. Now it's been 18 months and I mm-hmm. still see her once weekly. And okay. just as a refresher, she came to see me initially because she was referred by her GP for depressive symptoms, which seemed linked to loneliness because she would tend to churn and burn her way through relationships. Mm-hmm. She'd be quite charismatic and draw people in and then have difficulty looking after herself and outsource that. And that would kind of exhaust people. In the session that we had on her, you helped me see that she had these different self-states, the kind of fragile self-state, an angry self-state, a fun self-state, and helped me work out how to name those with her in session mm-hmm. um, while shoring up the social contract to allow space for those states to mm-hmm. continue to emerge. And work with Carmen over the last year, since we last talked about her, has been going pretty well. Um, slowly she's been, I guess, sort of integrating her different self-states and better able to own different parts of her and she's reported a decrease in her depressive symptoms and has been able to sustain and repair a couple of relationships that have become important to her in her life. So it's felt like things have been going well Mm -hmm. uh, until recently where things have shifted and I'm feeling stuck, so hence why I'm bringing her back. So just in terms of context, um, Carmen follows a number of women who have a prominent social media presence and who are vocal around issues that often centre on gender politics. And some of these women have received recent diagnoses of ADD and or autism. And they've been sharing their experiences of neurodivergence on their platforms. Carmen's been talking about how these experiences resonate for her. And inspired by this, Carmen booked herself in for an online assessment with a psychiatrist and was diagnosed with adult ADD a couple of months ago. Since receiving her diagnosis, our sessions have focused almost exclusively on Carmen talking about her increasing understanding of ADD and its symptoms. She now identifies as an ADD-er, 
and will often say things like my neurodivergent brain or my ADD brain. And she's connected with a number of communities online and in person of other people who identify as neurodivergent. So it feels as though Carmen's strongly forging a newfound sense of identity around her diagnosis. Receiving the diagnosis has seemed to have brought up a range of emotions for Carmen. So she's expressed, well, she's expressed a lot of anger towards me and what she sees as my failure in the therapy to detect her ADD. She's discussed looking back at her life and feeling that a whole lot of her experiences make more sense to her now, that she's got this understanding of ADD and its symptoms. And she's expressed deep feelings of grief and of sadness around what she feels she missed out on due to her ADD not being diagnosed sooner. And also grief and sadness about what what other opportunities might have been present for her in her life if her and her caregivers had been aware earlier that she had ADD. In our conversations about her diagnosis, I've been aware of experiencing a number of feelings too. I feel sad with her about missed opportunities in her life. And I think I can appreciate how overwhelming it can be when the past comes to take on new meaning through information learned in the present. I've been feeling a bit defensive in response to her anger at what she views as my failure to detect her ADD earlier. I'm open to her idea that I failed to detect it because I think I miss things like everyone does. But in my opinion, her presentation and her history didn't strike me as particularly aligned with the diagnosis of ADD. And I have detected this in, in other patients who I work with. I think I feel confused with her about better understanding her diagnosis and the impact of ADD on her life. And I'm also sitting with feelings of sort of anger and unease that feel uncomfortable and that I'll just tell you a bit more about because I think I need help with them. Something just sort of feels a bit off and if I turn towards that feeling, I think it has something to do with this sense I have that Carmen's diagnosis and, and her identification with it seems to have blocked our work and has had a net detrimental effect on her well-being thus far. So prior to her diagnosis, Carmen had pretty high levels of interest and motivation around exploring the why behind the what. And for all her resistances, it felt to me like she was invested in analysis and in understanding what might be contributing to certain relational dynamics. And this felt like the driving force behind her having made the progress that she has in therapy. After receiving the diagnosis, this all seems to have come to a sudden halt. Any problem that she encounters or difficulty she experiences is chalked up to what she says is my ADD brain or it's viewed as an intractable symptom of ADD. And if I question or if I challenge or if I try to be curious with her about deepening an understanding of something, she'll accuse me of being, in her words, a neurotypical male who doesn't know what it's like to be a neurodivergent female. And I think the implication is that by continuing to try to explore her experience, I'm invalidating her and I'm showing prejudice against neurodivergence. The other day she mentioned there was a dress sale that she wanted to attend and she mentioned being early to the dress sale. And I said, I think from a place of curiosity, but there was probably something else in there as well. I said, oh, that's interesting. You managed to get there early because she'd been talking a lot about time blindness and about how she's always late to things. And we had had that thing about her being late to session often. So I just remarked that it was interesting that she was early and I was kind of curious about how she managed to be early given that she struggles so much with time blindness. And I think she experienced it as an attack. And so she shut me down pretty quickly and just said, well, look, you know, I'm learning how to manage my time and why do you care so much about it? And it's a good thing anyway. And so we couldn't really get into it. Um, so I sort of feel like she's presenting me with this increasing shopping list of ADD symptoms. Mm -hmm. And 
I feel like this sort of ties my hands in the therapy and that, that all I'm allowed to do at the moment is agree with her and agree that everything's hard for her and that the solution is for the world to accommodate to her. And it's tricky because I feel like I'm watching her almost regress from being this sort of capable, charismatic, agentic woman into this increasingly incapacitated, helpless, powerless woman who feels able to do less and less and requires more and more accommodations by the day. And I feel conflicted about this because I think we do live in a world that's tipped heavily in favour of those who are neurotypical and often the world can be quite cruel to people who are neurodivergent. And so I want to be affirming of neurodiversity and, and to be accommodating of different ways in which Carmen's brain might be wired. But at the same time, I don't think I'm doing her any favours if I'm corroborating with her when it feels as though she's using her diagnosis to put her hands in the air and, and to sort of quiet, quit life, which is what it feels like she's doing. And I think this relates to the anger that I'm feeling. Like I am feeling mad at her, at the situation. I'm really conscious of Carmen being a woman who fights to live and fights to be taken seriously in a society that still remains strongly patriarchal. And so I think I can understand why she might be exhausted and why she feels sad about missing out on things and being given a raw deal in life. And I can understand why she, why she might want to quite quit life and to give up trying. But her strong identification with her diagnosis, and especially with his deficits, seems to me to be a way of, like a bad way of solving the problem. It's like she's solving an external societal problem by personalizing it and attributing it to an internal pathology or disability. And this makes me mad because I feel like she's sort of doubling down on unfairness. It almost feels as though she's kind of victim blaming and that she's compounding the raw deal that she's received in life while thinking that she's going down a path of self-empowerment. So mm -hmm. all of this is in the background for me and I'm trying to work out how on earth I can bring it into the therapy mm -hmm. when I feel like my hands are so tied and when we're in this dynamic of her putting me in a subject position of a neurotypical male who w couldn't possibly understand what it's like to be a neurodivergent female. Mm. So... You feel very stuck. Golly, that is a very, very big conundrum and quite topical at the moment, actually, yeah. um, Andy. Just one thing I didn't quite understand when you said she's engaging in victim blaming. I'm not sure what you meant by that. Oh, I think I just meant that I feel that being someone who identifies as female in a society that's still very patriarchal, she is on the receiving end of a lot of unfair and oh, un you mean unequal you, treatment. Not, not, you, you might be seen as victim blaming. No, no, no. I feel, I feel like she is victim blaming because there's a sense in which she's been on the receiving end of unfair treatment on account of a problem that exists at a societal level. Yes. And it's like her way of sort of solving that is to say the problem resides in me. It's my, it's my well, neurodivergent brain. I can't do all of these things. Right. Like the reason why I've got right. a raw deal is because of the way in which my brain is wired mm. as opposed to mm. the unfair ways in which I've been mm. treated. Okay, I think I am uh, still a bit muddled because on the one hand, what I hear you saying is that she's claiming a kind of position of at least a wish for accommodation to her, which is sort of not blaming the victim, but more wanting the victim to be recognized and to be accommodated to, yeah. as opposed to blaming. So I sort of get what you're saying but yes I think that's for me a more and I get it's a more philosophical point that the problem is that in general society doesn't accommodate or isn't very kind which is true yeah. to people who have any kind of difference from the neurotypical but it feels to me in her actual way of being with you even though she's saying okay 
It's to do with my neurodivergent wiring. At the same time, there is actually a requirement or desire at least for you to accommodate to that. So in that, I think there's a bit of a double bind that I hear. So uh, let's just leave that for the moment. But I just wanted to point it out because I was really struck by the word mad. You said, I feel mad. And I thought, well, it's got two meanings because (laughs) and a double bind is something very mad-making in, you know, the, the insane sense thereof. So... I was really struck by your use of that word several times and then finding myself in a bit of a muddle around these two things. So, yes, just pointing that out, Andy. Yeah. Then again, I found myself just wanting more information, but this is not so much in a muddle. But you're saying that she's regressing and becoming less capable. What are the indications of that other than in the therapy? I understand what's happening in the therapy, but is there any indication of that in the external world? Yeah, so what she's saying is like, so for example, so she's encountering all these difficulties at work that if she was encountering them prior to her diagnosis, she wasn't talking about them, but she will talk about, say, having difficulties concentrating during meetings. So she's sort of coming up with strategies to help her concentrate better. It just seems like she's having trouble doing all the things that she used to be able to do without any difficulty. And I don't know how much she was sort of masking. And now that she's got a language for it, she's able to identify ways in which she was struggling. Mm. Like she was always struggling in that way. She just never realized it or whether, I don't know, something's sort of being created or something. If it, it, mm. It's confusing. And that's why I keep trying to ask questions to understand it more. And I kept, I keep getting met with, it's my yes. ADD. And I'm like, okay, but like, tell me more about that. Like if you, mm-hmm. if you said, oh, it's because I'm a woman, I'd be like, okay, well, what does that, what does being a woman mean for you? Like, tell me more, like, I want to understand this, but she's just not open to that. Yeah, I can I can get it because there is something confusing because there's the question and that's why I asked it. Is she actually coping less well or is she actually by using the strategies coping better and was masking and not telling you? Right. And so there is something in that that leaves one a bit confused. I don't think there's going to be much purchase in going down the track of trying to actually clarify it, much as I feel within myself, the same urge perhaps as you do. I think I would rather stay much more with what's happening in the room, that she's angry with you, that she's telling you that you're deficient, that she's telling you that you've actually failed her, and to somehow be able to think about and sit with that, because what is the what has come into being? Yes, the language is you didn't pick up on my neurodiversity. If I'd known this earlier, everything would have been different. At the same time, she still comes. Yeah. So it's quite clear that there's something important and there's something that she actually wants to get from you, even though she's uh, pointing to all your deficiencies. And that then made me very aware of the fact and that she seems to be relating to the neurodiversity through the lens of deficiency, whereas actually a lot of neurodiverse people, and indeed it's true, talk about their uh, creativity or their capacity to multitask or to do various things that are in the realm of the strengths. So what I hear is that there's an overweighting in her conceptualization of herself. Yes, yes. 
toward the deficit. There must be some strengths in the relationship with you, but again, it's overweighted toward the deficit, but at the same time, she's still coming. Yeah. So I think I would rather just not be too engaged in trying to get her to help us to get out of the confusion. I'd rather think about, well, why is she coming? Right. And there is a reason why she's coming, but what it is, perhaps we're not sure of. Why do you think she's still coming? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, (laughs) I'd like to think it's because she's getting something from the therapy and getting something from the relationship and there's an attachment. And I think, like I said, I mean, I think... I think prior to the diagnosis, it felt clear why she was coming because there are lots of improvements being made that she seemed aware of that we were able to talk about. Um, sort of like as soon as she received the diagnosis, she, yeah, like you're saying, it became really weighted in terms of deficits. And it's almost it's almost like everything, everything which is like wrong with me, in scare quotes, everything which is wrong with me is my ADD brain. Yeah, so why she keeps coming now, it's... I don't, it'd be interesting to ask her now, yeah. I would be interested in that, and I would also be interested in asking her about the fact that, as I've understood it, she herself referenced improvements. Yeah. So, you know, what has happened? Have those improvements disappeared? Or is she simply not focused on them? She's focused on trying to get you to see the deficits, both in yourself and in her. Yeah, when he said she's having trouble focusing, my mind went to, well, that's a symptom of ADD, Jill. So, <laughs> of course, she's having trouble focusing. <laughs> yes. It's kind of what, what like, that's the, the yes. feel in the session, you know. Yes, I can get it. But then we, we have to look at what is she actually doing in the session, which yeah. is, and then I go back to the fact that you feel mad because... And yet at another level, if it's ADD, then yes, of course she's having difficulty focusing because the problem is the problem is the problem. And then if I'm saying that to her, clearly I haven't got the contours of the problem. Yeah. But again, I think I would still ask her, you know, look, what I'm hearing from you, Carmen, is that you're now understanding a whole lot of things that you struggle with through the lens of the ADD, and you're also very angry with me because you feel that I should have picked it up earlier. But to be very honest, actually, that wasn't my focus. My focus was something else. And, you know, it does feel to me important that you kept coming, that there seemed to be something important in that. And I'm wondering what is important for us now, now that we know that the ADD is there, what is important to you to get from me? Yeah. And ask her. Yeah. It's interesting. As you're saying that, I was thinking, because she is really angry at me. She's furious, yeah. And there's something, it almost feels like a displacement or something. It's like, I don't know how angry she is at me for missing the ADD versus how angry she is at me for being a male and feeling let down or feeling that I've sort of missed various things. Like it sort of feels to me, I think that's part of the confusion for me. I feel like she's putting all this stuff on ADD and I feel like a lot of it are feelings to do with stuff around sort of gender and structural inequality at that level. Well, she definitely brings it in because she says to you, how can you as a neurotypical male understand me as a neurodivergent female? So she gives you 
both. But I would be wanting to check with her, A, she was talking about improvements prior to the diagnosis. Does she still believe that something actually improved? Yeah. Does she still believe that there's something that can be productive between the two of you, despite the fact that the ADD has come into the picture? And, you know, what is it about you that mm. is angering her? Right. I, I don't think you can bypass her anger, is what I'm saying. And it's with yeah. you, yeah. Andy. Yeah. You know, but at the same time, she still wants to keep coming. And sometimes people want to come to be able to find somebody who they can be angry with, who will actually be able to sustain it, who won't reject them, who will stay the course. But I think that we have to then live with being mad because there is something extremely confusing. I can feel it in myself in yeah. a parallel process yeah, yeah, in yeah, the yeah. supervision. I can actually feel it. And it may be that we won't be able to get to a clarity with her. But I, I would still, perhaps I'd leave the improvement because that might sound too defensive. Yeah. But I would actually say to a comment, I can hear that, you know, the diagnosis has been very helpful to you in a whole lot of ways because it explains a lot of things. And you're right that that hasn't been my focus in our work. And I'm trying to hear what you're saying about it. But, you know, I am wondering what it is that you actually want to get from our work and want to get from me because I hear that you're very angry with me and I understand. Yeah. But maybe we can just think about that. Yeah. And in saying that, I'm not rejecting you and saying you shouldn't be here. I'd be very sure. clear about that. I'd say it. But I am curious about, you know, what it is that you feel is important for us, despite, you know, the ADD explaining a lot and despite the fact that you're furious with me for missing yeah. it. What is there still that we can do? Yeah, yeah. It's interesting when you say about sometimes people come to therapy because they sort of need someone to be angry with. I thought about, you know, when I first mm. brought her to you and she sent that email to me that was really angry, but it was when she was in that other kind of self-state under the influence of various things. Yes. Um, it sort of it feels like that same self-state, except it's really present now in the room. It's not it's not coming via email, you know. That's, that's, <laughs> that's a wonderful pickup because it certainly has been going through my mind. And the title of that which you gave me, which was Fair With A Friend. Yeah. And again... That feeling now from the other side that you picked up in yourself that you were only staying the course with her up until a certain point. Yeah. I don't pick that up now. Yeah. But maybe that's the reason she can now test it in the room by actually bringing it in, not right. in the email. Because right. She, right. She yeah. doesn't feel that you're in the fair with a friend self state, and I don't feel you are either. Yeah. I often think that the patients only bring the therapist the task when the therapist is up to the task. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. I'm saying maybe you're up to the task of sustaining her <laughs> anger and staying the course at the moment. Ooh, I think I might Andy. be. <laughs> so I think you might be too. Yeah. So we're toward the end, but actually I, 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 I do think that that's possibly one of the, the reasons. Yeah. And I think she's realize that you're not in the fair weather friend moment at the moment and you genuinely will try and stay with her through the actual expression of the anger not the email yeah that's true i do i do feel i do feel that way i do feel like i'm in mm. with her and um yeah. and sort of desperate to explore that more 
if, she, if she'll allow me in. Yeah. Well, I, I, I wouldn't suggest it to her. I want to yeah. ask her why she's coming, yeah. but in a gentle way. Yeah. 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 All cool. right. Thanks, Jill. Okay, we end there. Great. Now we reflect on what happened. We identified the dilemma we took into the supervision, the distillation we took out of supervision, and our blind spots. Blind spots include bright spots and dark spots. A bright spot is when we are blinded to the overall picture and we can only see a sliver of what is occurring in ourselves and in the interaction. A dark spot is when the issues are more completely out of sight. Okay, so Andy, what was your dilemma going into this? Going into this, I think my dilemma was, what do I do with the feelings of anger and unease that I'm experiencing in the work with Carmen at the moment? Uh-huh. And what was your distillation? The distillation was not to get pulled into the neurotypical male versus neurodivergent female bind that was being constructed, but to go underneath it to explore what is happening in the relationship and in the therapy between Carmen and myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so blind spots. Jill, what was the bright spot here? Well, I think this time both Andy and myself were caught. I think I got caught too. And I think we got caught up in the general questions about how to think about neurodiversity at the interface between the individual and society. And in that, we lost the specificity of the therapeutic couple. And what was a dark spot, Jill? Well, I think, Andy, perhaps you couldn't quite surface into your consciousness your suspicion that Carmen was weaponizing her diagnosis in the service of expressing her anger toward you and you were kind of in a sort of knowing and not knowing at the same time. Mm-hmm. Andy, what were your learning points? So I had a couple of learning points. I think the first was not to attend away from powerful counter-transferential material, even when it does feel uncomfortable. And the second was when you find yourself getting pulled into a victim-perpetrator or a do-or-done-to relational dynamic – Think about what lies underneath and go there instead. Go under. Yeah. 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 Okay. Jill, what were your teaching points? Well, I think I would just like to reinforce the learning point that each therapeutic couple is unique. And if we get too caught in the generalities, including diagnoses, we lose the capacity to work with what is in the room because our mind is elsewhere. So I'd want to reinforce that. And then the second point, I think, is to try and shine a light where the patient isn't shining the light. For example, Carmen was focused on the deficits and difficulties with ADD, and I might try to shine the light on the strengths and creativities that might come with ADD. Mm-hmm. And Andy, do you have a final question for Jill on this case? Yeah, so... I think particularly on social media, the term neurodivergence seems to be encompassing so many different behaviours and different symptoms at the moment that I'm beginning to question whether something has been lost in the process. What do you think? Well, my own view is that something is definitely being lost in the process and I felt that same way when we all started to talk a lot about trauma. I mean, trauma is a fact and it's been hugely important to have trauma-informed therapy. 
but we've got to the point where people can talk about their bad haircut as being uh, traumatic. <laughs> <laughs> and I know, Rach, you think maybe that's because I've never had a bad haircut. Yeah. <laughs> but I can assure you that's not true. <laughs> I, I think by the term being co-opted to cover so many things, it really loses its power and impact when it's referring to huge things like rape or earthquakes or fires. And I just wonder whether in the neurodiversity um, terrain at the moment, something similar might be happening. Mm. And I think that will be a loss. So all the more reason to stay, Three Associating. Thank you for listening to Three Associating. Our theme song is performed by Katie Whiten and our audio production is by Jared Young. So a big thank you to both Katie and Jared. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a rating and review on whichever platform you listen to us. We love hearing from you and appreciate all of the support we've had so far. This really helps us to continue to make new content. Bye for now. Why is the loneliest number?